Welcome to Rooster and the Devil, where we give you the Americans' perspective on English Premier League soccer, with hosts Brad Tyndall, Jimmy Carn, and Mike Steenstra. So I want to start with, did you guys see, if you follow us on Twitter, at Rooster Devil, uh, you will see a video that Mr. Mike Steenstra has uh, recently Retweeted about Troy Deeney scoring in, in, I believe, the Carabao Cup because it was a semifinal, looked like a dual leg match, and it's a missed penalty, and then he goes down and ends up dropping into the box and scoring that goal, and and then he jumps feet first with his shirt off into the stands of the supporters. It's one of the coolest clips I've ever seen. It is amazing. I feel so bad. Who's the penalty taker? Do you remember? I don't, but he I looked very him. sad. He's a Lester. Uh, he's a short, stocky guy. I felt so bad for him. Like I, I feel so happy for Watford, but at the same time, seeing him miss the penalty and then having them run down the field and score, it was heart-wrenching. I know, but also, I love Troy Deeney. Um, yeah. So that was really, really neat. <laughs> yeah, 2013 is, is when that... Uh, that match was, and I believe it was the championship playoffs, um, I believe is what it is. And oh. so, yeah, it was actually looks like to get into oh, the Premier yes. League. Is that what that would have been, Jim? Yeah. <clears throat> Leicester, was try- Leicester and Watford were trying to get into the Premier League in 2013. Correct. Looks like Leicester was, had suffered a spring collapse, having been in the top six for most of the season, um, starting the day in eighth place. So they had to win that match. Um, pretty crazy, pretty crazy. Yeah, that's amazing. I can't wait. I can't wait for the championship playoffs. Like, I'm so excited about it. I didn't think I would ever be excited about EFL playoffs. Yeah, all of all of the what a cool concept. I can't wait. You know who it was? Anthony Knockart, who now plays for Brighton, I believe. Oh yeah, he had that. um, He had that sick goal. He is sick, dude. I I when I played my uh (laughs) my career mode in FIFA. Uh, with Brighton, he's he's like a solid midfielder who can score, and, and it shows up in real life. That sucks for him. Brutal to miss that penalty. <laughs> and the follow-up attempt. So, yeah, follow us at Rooster Devil. We are just slamming our... Soccer dongs against the world. I just... I jizz out content from that account. Oh, so God. Of course he takes it to I, the next level. I wish that Brad would sometimes squirt a few loads on the, on the Twitter feed. <laughs> Brad, please do. My God. All right. I'll see, uh, I'll see what I can come up with. Good. <laughs> if you're listening to this, get a load of what's next. All right. So recap of some matches, yeah, yeah. some FA Cup. Who wants to start? Uh, Anything that caught your eye? So, uh, <clears throat> just from, uh, yeah, I'll say just from the perspective of the United Wolves game. Won. Honestly, like, I mean, I'm upset that we lost. It, 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 it sucks, you know. I thought that it was a good competition for us to really push in, especially, you know, as far as big, you know, big teams going, being just us and City left. Um, but, I mean, the whole game, if you watch that game, um, Wolves really did dominate, you know, the flow of the game. 
um, dictated the like a lot of the attacking opportunities. Um, you know, uh, United got that late goal, but really it, it the Wolves Wolves just dominated and, and hats off to them. They played extremely well. Um, deserved deserved every every bit of uh, moving on to the semifinals. So. Um, I, I am not ashamed to say that I am cheering for Wolves now to win the FA Cup. And Swansea almost beat Man City. Yeah. They're up 2 uh, Should have. Conspiracy. What happened there, Brad? Wasn't there a bunch of sketchy calls? Yeah, I mean, the f- the first goal by Bernardo mm-hmm. Silva was classed by City. And, I mean, you know, they've always got options as far as opportunities go. But both of their next two goals, so they were down 2-1 to one at that point after Silva scored in the second half. And then... The next two were total bullshit. The first one was a penalty that was absolutely not a penalty on Raheem Sterling, and I love Sterling, but it was not a penalty. Cameron Carter-Vickers, actually, yeah, Swansea, Cameron Carter-Vickers, U.S. National, um, got ball, like very, very clearly got ball, and so VAR would have easily ruled that out as a penalty. And then the next one was Aguero, three feet <laughs> offsides um, yeah. into the box and ended up scoring. I mean, it's just, it's just yeah. unbelievable. But it's City. They get every fucking call. Honestly, They're also if, amazing. If uh, Swansea and Man City would have tied and they would have done the replay, it was over anyway. So that last one doesn't matter much. Right, but the the other two do. And it changed the changed the entire dynamic of the match when Swansea lost their lead. They just, they just crumbled. So that's my argument. If you watch the flow of the game... It's a bullshit goal. It shouldn't have happened on the penalty, and that's it, it. Led within like five minutes to their next goal. City is still very good. Um, I I I would have to say that more than anything else, they were definitely favorites for the FA Cup. Um, but it it puts them back in that conversation of can they be the first European team to ever do, uh, you know, a, a quadruple. Um, you know, there's been like United had trouble in '99. And I want to say it was like 1981 was when Liverpool did um, like a, a different kind of trouble. They didn't win the league, but they won like the FA Cup, the UEFA Cup and something else. So, I mean, it's it, it would be, you know, untouched um, uh, an achievement for them if they were able to pull off a quad. I am only rooting for them in Champions League. You're rooting, you're rooting for Man City in Champions League? No. I'm rooting for all English Premier League teams in Champions League. Yes. Yeah, but, no. but right now Tottenham is playing no. Man City this, 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 this round. I'm assuming a loss. I'm sorry. Uh, wow. I wish I could delete this so, off the My podcast. God. So, I want so, to you so, can't go so, that far. Uh, I've been pessimistic, so, oh, but my no. God. Yeah, I was going to say, like, Bradley's, like, straight, like, Debbie Downer pessimism has seeped into Michael's brain. No, and just, no, no, no. I, no, it's too late. It's in. It's it's on recording. There's no. There's no taking that out now. You, I have editor power there, bitch. Yeah, let me just say that <laughs> Michael picked City to win. Michael picked City to win no, over Tottenham. I'm just saying, Michael picked City to win over Tottenham. I know what you're saying, Michael, and I like. I agree. The odds are not great, um, but even with my Debbie Downerness, I would never say I'm rooting for them. I mean. They're Satan, for God's sake. I am just a fool. I'm a naive fool. Can we move on, I was going to say to Jim, when Jim said, you know, City going for the quad, that that'll very quickly become evident uh, that it won't because they'll have no more time in the Champions League after they face Spurs at the new stadium. That would be be excellent. I mean, there is a good article. I can't remember where I read it, but 
Um, you know, the gist of, the, of it is in order for them to achieve the quad at this point, they're going to have to win 15 games in 64 days. So that's a game every four days for the next two months. So I mean, it's, it's, it would be incredibly impressive. And, you know, I would say that they have some of the attacking depth, maybe not the defensive depth to cover all of those games. And you're assuming that no one gets hurt major. It would like, it, it's, I very much doubt that they're able to pull it off. Um, you know, I, I feel like they're going to have to focus on, on something and knowing City's ownership group more than anything else, they want the Champions League. So I wouldn't be surprised if you saw that that's where they put the most strength, not trying to intimidate them. Just, that's, you know, the fact of the matter. For sure. So Tottenham, shit draw. Man United, shit draw. Liverpool, oh, yeah, as usual, I, I mean, amazingly easy draw. Well, it's not. I mean, I mean eventually, like uh, whether it's mad. in the quarterfinals or the final, eventually you're going to have to beat everybody, right? Like so, no doubt. Um, I mean, uh, to be fair, you know, Porto has won. You know this this millennia. You know with uh, um, our boy. Yeah, with uh, Jose. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in the Shout last twenty years they've won it. Jose Mourinho, yeah. I love you. Yeah, can't. Yeah, we can't we can't get through a podcast without mentioning that that uh, gentleman's name. Let, we gotta have, let him go uh, away. He must go away. No, it's he'll never go away. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad. You, uh, well, I'm not not no, I'm not glad, but you know, seeing that Zidane got the job at Real Madrid is also kind of a surprise. We it's won't good. go into that. It's good. Jimmy's yeah. like an old man sitting in a lawn chair on his back deck, saying, muttering to himself, "He'll never go away." He'll never leave. Yeah, back in my day, there was only four teams. <laughs> Do you have any chance? And I think the answer is no at beating Barcelona. I, I mean, I would have to say, like, if you look at the remaining eight teams, Barcelona's got to be the odds-on favorite, right? Uh, I mean, you guys saw that. I mean, Man I think City's got to be up there. Not, a, I, I wouldn't put them ahead of Barcelona. I mean, at the end of the day, um, you know, for everything that you know, as good as Pep Guardiola has been. Um, ironically, his only two Champions League uh, titles have been with Barcelona um, against Man United in the final um, in '09 and '11. And other than that, he hasn't won a Champions League final. Uh, and you know, one of the common threads of hit both of those wins is that he had a young man named Lionel Messi. And I mean, you guys saw what Messi did to Real Betis uh, over the weekend with his hat trick. That last chip goal was. Lovely. Yeah, it was unbelievable. Like to watch to watch Batiste fans, you know, like bowing down to him, like and clapping, like when their team is getting killed. It just shows, you know, how good he is. I mean, so yes, I don't. I, I'm not saying Ineo doesn't have a chance, but Barcelona is very good. Um, you know, I think that you know if we're able to get a, a a a decent result, you know, be it a tie or what have you, in the first leg. Just to give us a fighting chance in the second leg, you know, we 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 shouldn't even be here based on um, the way the the last matchup against PSG went. So I am I'm am, I'm walking on air. Uh, I I never say never. I think that we have a very good quality team, but um, yeah, we definitely drew the the best remaining team in the tournament. Now Messi. Oh, now Messi. Messi. Do you remember when Spurs played? Uh... Barcelona long ago in the group group stage the first game yes it was amazing Messi amazing it was it was bad it was dangerous man they're so dangerous so dangerous 
With it, it, that's the thing too. With Suarez is absolutely world class. You forget like. I was in Spain, actually in Barcelona for La Liga, or uh, La Liga, El Clasico, Real Madrid, um, Barcelona, no Messi, he broke his hand or something this season, and then obviously Cristiano Ronaldo has moved on, but Suarez took over that game, I think he had a hat trick, and I mean, it was still against Madrid, Suarez is a beast, so you got him, you got uh, in. Ndombele, is that the other one on the wing, Jim? Yeah, he's actually he actually is hurt, so he won't be there for... Uh, for the for the at least the first leg, but I mean, I mean you can go down the list yeah. of like quality. Like uh, they still have Philippe uh, Coutinho, you know, coming off the oh bench. Oh my god! The guy they bought from Liverpool for like 140 million. <laughs> um, 140 million they, from they, Liverpool. Yeah, you know they still have the stalwarts like uh, Sergio Busquets in in midfield, um, PK and D. They still have you know that that base spine. They are quality through and through. Um, Maybe not like you know you know you're talking about the last ten years of some of these Barcelona teams. Um, I wouldn't put them up there with even like their like the Neymar years of of Barcelona, but they are they are incredibly stacked um, all the way through. Uh, they are uh, very good, and as long as you have Messi, you know he continues to play at <clears throat> an incredibly high level. So um, they're going to be tough to beat, absolutely. And then the uh, the only one we have not talked about yet, Juventus Ajax. Yeah, uh, you know I think that um, well, a go Ajax. You know they've been a fun story. Got lots of young players, quality. Um, you know I, I think that Juventus you know is definitely beatable, right? So I mean they've been able to the last couple of years like walk through their league domestically, kind of the same way PSG has, and they just live for the Champions League. You know, and you know, going out and buying a 33-year-old Cristiano Ronaldo for 100 million pounds or 100 million euros, whatever it was, he is he. I mean, everything is centered around him, and that I mean, it shouldn't be. They they have other good players, but um, you know, in the first leg against Atletico, he, um, he didn't have a great game, and Juventus scored no goals. Uh, the return leg, you know, Ronaldo has you know one of his. Ronaldo moments and scores a hat trick. So I think without if if Ajax is able to at least slow down Ronaldo in any sense, uh, Ajax certainly has a fighting shot. And um, just from a, a neutral viewer perspective, I am looking forward to um, hopefully Ajax getting a win there. So I just wanted to jump back into the Premier League quickly for a second here and talk about relegation, specifically the Burnley Leicester game. Uh, did you see that at all? Because Harry Maguire got a red card in the fourth minute, so Leicester played down a man the entire game. Um, they also put in the first goal at 33 minutes, then Burnley put one in at 38 minutes, then they played a back-and-forth match, and Leicester scored a goal in the 90th minute. Burnley is only two points ahead of Cardiff. I wanted to see if you guys caught that game or if you noticed that at all. It, uh, yeah, I, I did not watch that. I did not see that. It is, uh, it is wild, and you know, it's... It's crazy to think, you know, since the victory at Tottenham, you know, like they had that 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 whole stretch there where they played so well to get even get themselves out of it, and now just to fall apart at the end of the season. Um, I, I think that it would it would be an injustice to see them go down because I I don't think they're one of the three worst teams in the Premier League. They're definitely bottom half, but not one of the three worst. And um, you know, if they are able to go down and and keep their team mostly together. I think you're going to see him right back uh, next year. And then also in the relegation battle, Huddersfield's already out. We already know that. But they're up 3-1 over West Ham 
after a 65th minute goal and ended up losing 4-3. <laughs> Pathetic. That is sad. And that's why you're getting relegated. And then the other fun matchup this weekend for all of us on the podcast, obviously, Everton 2, Chelsea 0. Yay, Toffees. Yep. Uh, uh, they they definitely changed the complexion of that you know three versus six, and I think that you know we are still going to have that that conversation because they're still talking about four points overall. But it would have been you know Tottenham would have been sitting there at third at sixty one, and then Chelsea would have been there right behind them at sixty, followed by Arsenal at fifty nine, and I think Man United fifty eight. Yep, correct. So, yep. So like I mean to to be have four teams within three points. Uh, would have been extra crazy. It's still it's still going to be you know interesting as close as they are, but um, yeah, uh, it, it, it's 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 huge for um you know Arsenal, Man United that Chelsea lost. Um, and that Spurs. Game. Let's be honest. Yeah, yeah out of absolutely. the out of those four teams, I think Chelsea's playing. They've been consistently playing the worst, and then Tottenham's a close second on on who's ever playing. Agreed. Not I could make an argument for Tottenham playing worse than Chelsea, just getting results in yeah. the meantime, the last two months in the league. But yeah, it's it's yeah, scary, scary times. Yeah, it might. Yeah, I, I don't like the way Tottenham's been playing lately. They have to pick it. Yeah, up. but if you if you talk about those four teams, right? So in all four of those teams, the only consistent person is Pochettino. You're like Arsenal, first year manager. Uh, Manchester United first year slash interim manager, Chelsea first year manager. So, like, you know, Pochettino. If if I was going to be in that situation where like any of those teams are having like a bad run of form, and you can argue that United is in a, a bad run of form, we lost the last two games, you know, um, this past week. Um, that uh, that if there was going to be a manager in one of those four teams to write the ship, it would be Pochettino because he knows his team. They trust him. Um, he trusts them. Uh, I, I would I would say that I wouldn't worry about that team having a bad continued run of form um, versus one of these interim managers or these uh, first year managers that that don't know quite how to you know get their team up and going uh, again when they start to slip. I do wish we had a few more players resting on the international break here. It's always a problem. Always something you have yeah. to deal with for sure. Yeah, we'll have to see. It's going to be an interesting last eight games. We're at 30 games played, I think, across the board now that Chelsea's played their match. And it'll be an interesting run-in, that's for sure. Spurs are going to have to spend, you know, a a week uh, probably in fifth or sixth, based on my estimation. They have to go away to Anfield next on the 30th, I want to say, of this month. And so I think... 31st. Because we're all going to hang out. That's right. So that'll be interesting. I, I don't expect them to get... You know more than a point at Anfield, frankly speaking. So yeah. I think they're going to be yeah. maybe looking up at some teams. So you have to fight back, get back in that top four if that happens. Man United's got a tough schedule too, though, right? Yeah, we still have, uh, we still have Man City mm, and good. and Chelsea. I think no, mm. maybe Chelsea. I can't remember. Um, but yeah, we do have. We like it's not an easy run. We still have Wolves. Um, you know, uh, I think um, sometime before the end of the season. So. Uh, there's lots of places for us yeah there's lots of places to slip up um for us as well and it'll be interesting to see how they respond you know for the first time under Solskjaer um actually facing you know a little adversity 
Um, how do you how do you pick yourself back up? Listen to this. You've got a tough run, man. This is your Premier League schedule. Wat, uh, Watford, Wolves, West Ham, Everton, Man City, Chelsea. Yeah. That's tough. Yep. And but then you it, end with Cardiff and uh, Huddersfield. Yeah, but then you sandwich in there two Barcelona games as well. Um, I mean, I would never say it's a blessing to lose um, in, in a competition – but you know, being out of the FA Cup, um, yeah, with all the like the injuries that we've had, it's a blessing. Um, it it <laughs> isn't, isn't. It? You want to win. You want to you want to win everything you you are in. But you also you also want to prioritize um, different competitions. And you know, we're still we're fighting for our lives in the top four, um, and we're not. I mean, we are we are fully alive. Draw, be damned in the Champions League. Uh, I, I why not? Man United winning winning the Champions League. That's how I feel about it. Why not Spurs? I'm trying to Why not make Spurs? up for my old, uh, my uh, transgressions <laughs> earlier. <laughs> oh, oh, golly. Anyway, At any rate. Brad, don't be too hard on yourself. It's fucking fine. I'm going to have another beer to punish myself. Get over it. Me too. I another KVS? Let us know how that goes, Michael. Nah, That's a powerful, nah, have potent of bomb I of a beer. Save those. I uh, just want to lead us into a little yep. discussion. What did you guys think of Sammy before we get into the conversation here on the podcast? I thought he was excellent. Like if you, you know, if if we just came into a conversation, you know, knowing nothing about him or his background, I wouldn't know like how young he was. Like I would definitely know like. Uh, um, his knowledge base, but you know, he he spoke um, very clearly and, and competently. I mean, it was it was a great talk. It was that's a, a, a great find, Mike. Well, well agreed done. on all fronts. Well, that was all luck. Uh, I, I liked his approach for DMing, sliding to his DMs, him, him sliding to everybody's DMs. I think we can learn a lot from Sammy. Young wise Sam, uh, yeah, absolutely. Young Sam, uh, here he is. Live on Rooster and the Devil at Rooster Devil. Slide into our DMs anytime you want mm. with your big long D's. Go ahead. So, Sammy, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and why you're interested in soccer and specifically U.S. men's national team? All right. So, what's up, guys? I'm Sammy Friedrich. I'm from Charleston, South Carolina. I'm currently a student at Wofford College, Go Terriers, and I'm on the men's soccer team. And I kind of got involved with the U.S. soccer blog because my friends, they, they're the ones that started it, and they didn't invite me to be a part of it at first, but they realized that I could contribute some good content, and they let me on board. So, and then since then, I've been writing stuff about U.S. soccer. So, yeah. Do you guys mainly focus on U.S. soccer, or do you kind of go across all leagues? We try to stay focused on U.S. soccer. The like what I do, I write the player profiles. Like the, the all aboard the hype train is what the series is called. I interview youth international, like youth national team players, and just kind of so that the audience can get to know them a little bit better. Just kind of like introductory questions, like so they can't get in trouble with their clubs or with the national team or anything. But it's just something. Oh, nice. It's just it's something to, to do it. get them introduced to the to the audience. You know, who's been your favorite player to interview so far? Ooh. Um. My favorite one to interview so far was probably Charlie Kelman of South End United. He was our he was the first one, and I he it was just it was just really cool to work with him. Like 
because I woke up 30 minutes before my Spanish lecture and I just saw a DM from him and I was like, oh, okay, I guess we're going with this. And then I just kind of rolled from there and I was like, I, I can keep this going. How long have you been doing it? Um, like since the end of January, I think. Got it. All right. So I feel like if you keep going in a few years, it's going to be awesome because some of the guys you talk to will be in the, the senior team circuit. Yeah. Hey, uh, how how did you get started? Like, how do you uh, like how do you get a, get a hold of these guys? Do you just like social media, send them a message, yeah, tell them I, who you are, or like what uh, I've you... mostly been doing? I have literally just been sending Twitter DMs and the occasional Instagram DM if their DMs aren't open on Twitter. And through a couple of them, I've been in contact like with their agents, so that they can because they have a lot of other guys that play for the youth national team that they can hook me up with. And I'm working on one right now where. I am currently emailing the the head of media relations for Liverpool Football Club, which is really cool. So, very cool. I feel like we should pick your brain more. We could learn from you. All right, then go for it. <laughs> so, so a quick question: How did you? I guess have you been following the national team since you started playing soccer when you were a kid? Has it been more of a you know high school or college? You started to get into it and follow the players themselves, or how'd you get into that? Uh, I've been like watching soccer ever since I could like my dad got me really into it when I was a kid but I started like close closely following like really closely like how I started getting all the knowledge or experience that I have with all this kind of stuff like kind of towards the like in high school basically and since then like I've just been like following the players that are abroad it's been, it's been really cool to see Americans do stuff that people don't associate with America you know so you play D1 now. Does that mean you came up through clubs in the U.S.? And- yeah. So I, I always played club soccer. I played for a club in Charleston, South Carolina, called United Soccer Academy Mount Pleasant. I played there since I was like six, and that's where I graduated from. And and then since then, like I've the connections in Charleston, have I've been able to travel to Argentina and play, and Spain and play, and Germany to play. So... I never really played with an academy, and but I was able to train and get trials abroad, which was really cool. So, yeah. Very cool. I mean, what was that experience like going abroad and playing? Did you, you know, notice a difference in quality at all? Oh, absolutely. There was a huge difference in quality. When I went to Spain, there, were, there was actually a couple guys that are on the U20 roster going to the U20 World Cup that I played oh, with. No Paxton, Palmical, and Juan Pablo Torres. I played with them. In Madrid, we played against Real's academy teams, but the level it was just um, it was unbelievable. Like it was so fast paced, I I could barely keep up, but I I held my own, and that's how I got to go to Argentina for four months to train. That's amazing. That's such a cool experience. Yeah, I'm not trying to flex, but like that's, that's no, just how it is. Flex all you want, man. <laughs> that's cool. I sit on my couch and drink beer. Is that a flex? That's, that's a flex. That's what a are you, flex. 20? Are you 20? Yeah, I'm 20. Yeah, it might be a flex to you. It is. Yeah. It is. yeah. <laughs> Although you probably drink beer. I drink a lot in college. Legally, I am not allowed to say that I do. That's right. Uh, boy. So that's do you have any uh, any favorite, could be any league, Prem, La Liga? I mean, do you have a team that you actually follow, or do you stick to, say, MLS, for example? Liverpool's my team. From a supporter. Oh, okay, gotcha. I'm a red. But if I had to pick, what? if I had to pick an MLS team, I'd I'd go with Atlanta just because I I have connections through the Charleston Battery, and just like Andrew Carlton, like when he played with the Battery, he lived at my house. But like, because his parents didn't want him to stay at the club apartments, so they were like, oh, 
like we know we know some people that you could stay with and he stayed he stayed with us which is really cool was it cool it was it was cool like he got the air jordan hypervenoms like two weeks before those got released to the public a giant box showed up on our front doorstep and i looked at it i was like what the hell is this it's like what's andrew getting from nike now like it was like a new box of stuff every day it was crazy incredible even at that level that they get that kind of you know um support you know yeah pretty cool yeah it's wild so how are you feeling about your reds uh this season and uh and title hopes and all that good stuff dude it's it's been quite the season i think it's just been such we're such a more complete team than we were last year there's such a balance there's such a better balance in the midfield now that fabinho has really proved himself to be one of the best defensive midfielders in europe and I just I think if we get that depth going up front, so in Firmino, Mane, and Salah like aren't playing at their best level, like if we get like a quality backup, you know how like City has like they got just hundreds of quality wingers that they could sub sub in basically at any point we have in time. Talked about that, yeah, but like if if Liverpool had that kind of depth, I I don't think there would be there would be any doubt about who would be the out and out runners of the, of the Premier League. But like I don't know what Shakiri has to do to get minutes. It's it's beyond me. I don't know what's happening there. Did you see Shakiri dropped out of the uh, Swiss national team? Yeah, with a little knock, I guess. Uh, that's what he says. Yeah, that's what all the city players do when they go to the England team. They all they uh, all pretend they get injuries so they don't have to. Yeah, it's been fun hurt. to watch the Reds defensively this season. I think compared to last, so solid. Yeah. Van Dyke is a monster. We're all uh, Dutch boys on this podcast mm-hmm. too. So there you go. We're Barrage. secret Netherlands fans. <laughs> So, which brings us to the U.S. men's national team, which is what you are an expert on, uh, the U.S. Soccer blog dot net dot right? com. dot com. Sorry, sorry, good. I don't want to throw that. <laughs> um, so, lots to talk about. It's the first real camp of twenty nineteen. Greg Berhalter's era, um, really. What? Are, yeah, that's right. A couple questionable non call ups. Yeah. Uh, our our midfield looks pretty sexy on paper right now. Most of it, yeah. What what are your initial thoughts on the My team? first thought what was how in the hell is Michael Bradley still getting called up to the national team? <laughs> like that's the first thing that really jumped out at me. And then the second thing was just how bland and just how vanilla the striker group is. It's absurd. Yeah. Like there's I mean, do you follow MLS a lot because you could probably enlighten us all on the MLS striker group in general. I follow because I, I didn't I follow it all right. Like I I follow like I follow Montreal cuz we have a couple family friends. I follow Atlanta. But then, like, I, I don't know who Corey Baird is. I just have never heard of him. I saw him in the January camp, like, I, and that was the first time I ever heard yeah, of him. I, I didn't even see him play in the January camp. Did he play? Uh, I don't remember him playing, but I thought he was in camp. Um, Kind of like, I mean, I know I know Christian Ramirez, you know, played a little bit in the January uh, games, but really he didn't get that much game time, and he also got a call-up this time around, so... Um, it feels like it feels like those guys that were there got an advantage, um, you know, with Burhalter at least took it took advantage of the time they had. In an ideal world, who would your striker group be? Well, I mean, Novakovic has been banging in goals for Fortuna Sitard in the Netherlands, and he's probably going to get a transfer to PSV Eindhoven over the summer. So I think he should be getting more experience. Like, would Tim Weah should be in this group, even though he's with the U20s or the U23s or whatever it is. Josh Sargent should be in the group. Like, I don't. Like I get how why they're not putting him in the senior team right now, but this is like Jayasis Artes isn't going to give anything to the national team. Like you got to bring the young guys in, let them make the team theirs. 
which is part of the reason why I'm just absolutely blown away that Tim Ream and Michael Bradley got called and Omar Gonzalez <laughs> got called back in. Like it's they their time has their time has passed. It is now time for the young guys yeah. to make the national team theirs. Right, you have three years to mold a team and, and give them an identity, and you completely blow that option with oh, that. Yeah. Uh, how do you feel about uh, Cameron Carter-Vickers at Swansea? I mean, I feel like I thought he was having a good season for them. Um, I'm surprised he didn't get a call, you know, over somebody like Tim Ream. Yeah, he's been having a pretty solid season from what it seems like. I can't really watch Swansea that much, but like I kind of keep up to date with it a little bit. But it's kind of... It's kind of weird for me to see Miazga get called in ahead of him, considering Miazga didn't play the first half of the season at Nantes. And it's just it's just kind of it, there's some very questionable choices. Like I get they want the U23s and the U20s to be strong, but like you got to get these guys integrated into the first team, in my opinion. So, um, so I I read a couple of your uh, of your interviews, which I really liked, by the way. Um, mostly because um, for a lot of people, as U.S. soccer fans, getting introduced to players that you might not know um, on the fringes. Yeah. But as far as you know, as as far as this camp goes, um, give me like a name of a player that people might not have seen a lot of, but um, could surprise. Stephen Payne of SC Varzim in Portugal. They play in the Portuguese second division. He's a right back. He he is he's really good, and he goes really far under the radar. From what from what I've seen, like it's, I got in connection with his agent because he has the same agent as Akil Watts, and he can't he speaks, he he speaks so highly of him, and I being able to watch some of his clips and like some of his other stuff, and like some he sent me a couple game like full game videos that I was able to watch like he's he's really good, and I think that he should be getting a he should be getting a shout at least with the U twenty threes because he's he's had a pretty impressive season with uh, with Varzim and. He, he's not really getting that recognition because he doesn't play for that, that big of a club, you know? And what about the guys coming into camp? Is there anybody that sticks out on the roster to you right now that people might not know much the about? The senior national team or the... Yeah, for, yeah, yeah, for this, this March camp. Or, or both. Um, I mean, I mean, I can't really tell you all that much that you all don't know about these guys. I'm happy that Jesse Gonzalez is back with the U.S. because there was that big controversy when he first debuted for Dallas whether he was going to choose Mexico or the U.S., but he's, it seems like he's pretty set on playing for the U.S. I think he could be the long-term solution and goal. I like I like him a lot. Ethan Horvath, is, he's pretty good, but, you know, like, Gonzalez, I, I just think he's just an overall better goalkeeper, in my opinion. What do you think about, it seems like Burhalter is going to put Tyler Adams at right back and Yedlin as no. winger, which seems so no. <laughs> very unusual. Is that actually, I didn't, I didn't see that. Is that actually what's he, what he's going to do? That is what I've heard. It, it could be untrue. It's been room, it's been rumored, but you know how rumors are. It hurt. Yeah, it, just, it hurts. It hurts me. It hurts <laughs> me to hear that. Like, oh. do you like Yedlin? I, I guess I like Yedlin like, in there. He's still young. Yeah, he's a Premier yeah. League starting yeah. back. He's got national team experience. He he's one of the most capped players that's been called in right now. So I mean, you got and he's been having a decent season in Newcastle. Like I've watched a couple of their games because one of my sweet mates is a he's a Newcastle fan. I don't know how or why, but. Like I, I, you're bringing me back. You're bringing me back with that word, sweet man. I, know, I haven't heard that in ten I know, years. It's, it's, I don't. I'm not trying to like roll. Trying to roll date us here. We're old. Yeah. yeah. I'm just saying. Hell, I'm just man. saying. Like, I, I've been watching a lot of Newcastle, and he's been having a decent season at right back. Like their win against Man City, he was huge, shutting down Sane and whoever ended up going down that left hand side. But he needs to be playing at right back. Like, 
And, like, it's just so frustrating to see these players get played out of position. Yeah, what's the theory with, so Yedlin on the wing and Adams at right back? Is that the recent? I have no idea what the that's, theory that's is. That's what's been reported, I think, the last day or two when I was looking. Well, if we're talking about, like, positions, maybe we can ask Sammy, like, tactically, you know, looking at this roster that, that's that been called in, um, what do you, like, I mean, we, we saw kind of what, what he ran, you know, in January, but, like, tactically... How do you think he sets up um, for these two games? I, he'll he'll stick with I think he'll stick with the same system because if, if you switch the systems too much, like you don't you don't have a good coach. You need to have something that you got to believe in, you know. Especially with the U.S. national team always playing like catch up. Like I, I I wrote something about this back last semester about how the U.S. doesn't have an identity. Like after Spain won the World Cup, we copied Tiki Taka and all that all that garbage, and then after 2010 we started the thing the i what's that what's that thing called in florida what it's the IM, oh, the IMG. img thing yeah we started the img yeah. like the national team training center or whatever, because germany had one of those after they won the world cup or i'm getting my years mixed up but that's that's what happened and there's no identity like we're always playing catch up to the winners of previous years world cup and like we need to establish what we're going to do as the united states and stick with that and to be confident going forward with that because we have the players to do it and we absolutely have the players to do it it's just if we keep switching up the system and keep changing players out of position, it's it's going to be the same thing with Bruce Arena. And the latter stages of Jurgen Klinsmann, it's just not going to work, and people are going to get frustrated, and there's going to be another mutiny. We might not qualify for the next World Cup. Well, let me let me ask you this, because we, uh, um, you know, I, I think the boys will remember, We I think we briefly talked about some of this, you know, in one of our early podcasts but um, just talking about, like, the U.S. as a whole, you know, um, and, and you could probably speak to this better than anyone with all your playing experience and some of the guys that you've played with and know. But, like, do you feel that, you know, part of the U.S.'s problem is that there hasn't been, you know, like, a same setup? Like, you can go, like, I could play for this club team, and if I end up moving to this club team, the system is completely different, the ideas are different, and then you go to college or wherever else. Like, the, there's not, like, a cohesive uh, you know, set up from the youth development all the way through. Would you say that that's true? That that hurts us. Yeah, absolutely. Like there's, it's they're trying. From what I've experienced, they they're trying to implement like such a robotic style of play. Like my younger brother, he plays for the Portland Timbers Academy, and he he always complains about how robotic the system is that they play. Like there's no room for for wingers like him or to be creative in and around the box it's always get the ball pass it back to the right back and then let the midfielders do their interchange or whatever but like he's he you're suppressing the talent that makes countries like brazil and like portugal and all these other in argentina and all these other great soccer countries you're repressing what talent we could have that's similar to that you know that's fascinating and especially a country our size, you'd, you'd think that talent would be hidden in there It's somewhere. definitely there. To suppress that at such a young age yeah. is uh, disappointing. Yeah. yeah. All right. Hey, Sammy. Jimmy, Jimmy's got to go. He's got a toddler. He's I got a toddler. I got to go chase. Up. But I appreciate you coming on with us. Um, I look forward to listening to the rest of the interview later on, man. Uh, thanks again. Yeah, man, of course. See you, Jim. Brad, do you have any uh, questions? Yeah, I think, I think just continuing on that, I mean – a beast like the United States, I, I don't know how we compare quantity-wise of, of academies and programs for youth kids, but do you think it's fixable? Do you think it's 
possible to get something sustained, some sustained success with the academies and aligning? Or is that just going to continue to be hit or miss um, and stick with that style that you're saying isn't effective from a talent perspective? I There certainly is potential for it to be to be fixed, but the fact of the matter is like the U.S. is just too big to run so to run like an effective academy yep. system where everyone where Seattle could play like Orlando in an academy thing, but it's it's just so difficult for players to be able to play at the top level, especially like with the extortionate like club fees and stuff for non MLS academies and then just regular clubs around the U.S. Like the fees are just absurd and it drives players out, and that's. How do the uh, how do the MLS academies differ? They 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 don't they don't have club they don't have club fees. Hmm. They because the 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 club provides like all the transportation and like all the referee fees and everything because they're they're MLS they have the funds to do it. But non MLS academies, you say like um like Chicago Magic like Chicago Magic or Chicago PSG or just like any other clubs or academies around the U.S. You have to have club fees so you can so you're able to pay for your academy yeah, team I to go to go travel to new york to play in a tournament or something like that like it's it just gets really expensive to do to do things you know so i've, I've got a question we're, we're all of us here are in our low 30s so our generation i'd say football is one basketball two doesn't matter after that do you see a shift in your generation that that leans more towards soccer yeah absolutely Absolutely. Our, our athletic trainer here at Wofford, he, he's the trainer for the men's soccer team and the, and the baseball team. And he's, and he, but he works closely with all the other athletic trainers. And he, he always tells us, he's like, football's a dying sport. Like, like soccer's going to come up. Football's dying out with all these concussion protocols and all that kind of stuff. Basketballs will probably stick around for a long time. Baseball was never even in the picture in my opinion, but soccer is like, I, it, it's definitely growing a lot, and that's that's very good. So then, I did want to get to some warm fuzzies. I wanted to see if uh, you had any specific U.S. men's national team memories that stick out in your mind. Um, like we said, you're a little younger than us, so I wonder what the first World Cup you were cognizant for was. That like South Africa, 2010. I mean, like kind of 2006. I only remember watching the final. And seeing Zidane's head, but that was the only thing I remember from that World Cup. But 2010 was was the first like World Cup where I was able to pay attention and like really follow it. And when the when Donovan scored that goal against Algeria, our yeah. club had sent players over to Belgium to train for a couple weeks, and we were in Belgium, and so it was it was it was really cool. Like we were we were all in like some like restaurant, and we were like the only Americans in the entire place. There were like just other kind of Middle Eastern people that were in the bar cheering for Algeria. But you were in Belgium? Yeah, we were in Belgium for it. It was really cool. Awesome. That's it was really awesome. cool. And when, and when Donovan scored, we we were we lost it, man. We were running around the restaurant acting fools. That's like, honestly, I'm pretty new to soccer fandom. And that 2010 World Cup was kind of like what got me all amped up on it, seeing Donovan score that. And the, honestly, 2010, 2014 were good good for the United States. Oh, you know, yeah. Make it out of group stage. People shit on it all the time. Yeah. But, they they did well. I, I, that's not never said enough. I, I think, but I don't know. Do you think they had a de- an identity in two thousand ten, two thousand fourteen? The identity in twenty ten and twenty fourteen was just to outwork the hell out of the other team. Like just, like there wasn't really much of a style of play. It was mostly just like yeah, we're gonna run harder than you for ninety minutes, and that's just how it's gonna be. 
I do feel like that's been our way of life in soccer. Like, you don't see us diving very often. It's very like a hard nose, blue collar type of game, from what I yeah. can tell. But like, you're not get, You can only get so far with that, you know. Like, you need you need yeah. something to do when you have the ball. You can't just press for ninety minutes. Yeah, that's like a mid table uh, mentality. Yeah, of course. So, uh, I'm not sure we have much else men's national team, but I'm kind of curious if you had any other fun soccer stories. Like, I don't even know if this will make it on this on this pod. Like, what's it like playing D1 soccer? I mean, it's it's a different world I to mean, me. It's I love it. Like, we our freshman year, we were awful. I'm not I'm not even gonna lie. We were we were atrocious. We we went like four and fifteen, but. Like every game that I played in, we won. So which was so it was like you know like, like there you go. You got you got to play me, you know. But and you're a central defensive mid. Yeah, like, I can play. I can play like the holding mid or right now in our spring season, I'm playing center back. But like we, but that's that's a whole other story. Like we, our old coach, he just kind of sucked the life out of everybody. Aww. And then he just he made so many. He made like. Over a year and a half, he made like twelve people quit or be forced out through injury. Oh wow! Because he would like overwork us and just make us all hate it. And then he he parted ways with the school. That's such a that's a for youth. Like if you have one bad coach, it can ruin players. It's terrible. Yeah, but you know, like I. But you're what? You're a sophomore. Yeah, I'm a sophomore. But like I, I'm just I'm just going to tell y'all like what happened so like do you our, want this on here because i can take out whatever if you want it on here go for it like uh, he's, cool. he's he's long gone it's it's not a problem okay so we we had a our first round of our conference playoff against unc greensboro at home and so at this point like i i had to drop a class i had to wp withdraw pass or whatever it is i had I to do that because of drinking not because of <laughs> athletics but but go yeah. on so like I had to do it. I didn't have enough hours to finish the season, so I had to sit. I had to sit in the stands, so I wasn't there for it. But before the game, yeah. our lock like people walked into the locker room. We always made a big deal about keeping the locker room clean, and the locker room was just absolutely just. It was in shambles. Like cleats were everywhere, chairs were turned over, like clothes were strewn all around the locker room. Everyone's like, "Ah oh, shit, this isn't good." Like coach is gonna coach is gonna fuck us, and so. He, like so we, like, everyone's like scrambling around and once everyone got their stuff back they were like hey y'all like i'm missing cleats like what's going on here like they stole our cleats and we straight like our first thought was uncg like they came in here and they just took our stuff to get in our heads and then it came like i went down it was our it was the last game of the season so we ended up we ended up losing that and the end of the game we played better than them but we lost you know that's that's the story of it yeah like, it happens but then i go down after the game to like talk to the seniors like because i i grew close to them over the over the previous year and a half and i was like I was like, hey, like, okay, I, I hate for this for the, to be the way you go, but, like, that's just how it is. And then I, they were like, hey, like, did you know our locker room was ransacked before the game? And I was like, I was like, what? Like, it's like, I was not, I wasn't aware of this. So I turned around to my locker to make sure my stuff was there. And my, lo and behold, my stuff was gone. And so me and one of the seniors, we went to campus safety to look at the security cameras. And long story short, we we were sitting in there. And he's like, "What time? What time do y'all reckon UNCG left, left, like left campus?" And we were like, "Oh, probably like nine, nine o'clock." And he's like, well, "There's a lot of activity on this camera outside their locker room at like ten forty-five." We're like, "Well, that, it just can't be right. Like, wh- who's going around the away locker room at ten forty-five p.m.?" 
And so way late, way afterwards. Yeah, exactly. And so we click on the video, and our coach is taking our tra- our cleats in a trash no bag way. into their locker room. And I'm sitting there. I'm like, why? I, I don't. I don't know. I don't. I never got a good explanation why. But that was the that was the beginning. That was like the spark that we all needed to be like, yeah, it's 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 time. It's time for change. But now we have. Did he admit to it? Did he what? Did he admit? Did he own up to it? Oh yeah, he owned up to it. So like, I like he tried to call us all, all the guys that he stole, like or didn't steal, that he borrowed is how he phrased it. How he like he called them all in for an individual meeting, and when I went in, everyone was like, "No, Sammy, you can't go." Like, like we're starting a mutiny. Like you can't even interact with him. Yeah, we were like we're refusing all interaction or anything to do with the men's soccer program. And I was like, okay. I was like, all right, but I'm going to go. So I recorded the conversation without him knowing, but that's legal because South Carolina has a one-party rule huh. or law or whatever. So I, it was perfectly fine for me to record the conversation of him ex- trying to explain why he took the stuff uh, and why he targeted certain players. I It's somewhere in the bowels of group me. Oh, you Unbelievable, check. man. If you could send that to me, I'd splice that shit right in here right now. <laughs> that's oh, incredible. Man. So like yeah, it was like it was like a fifteen minute conversation, and so then like we took it, we took all that stuff to the AD. Like we signed like a, a letter, it looked like the Declaration of Independence. Like we all <laughs> signed it, and it was like we refuse to do anything with the men's soccer team until there's a change. Wow. And so then he, they were like, all right, well, we're a conundrum because ninety percent of the team is going to quit if he stays. And you're all scholarship and goes, players, right? I, so, I'm not on athletic like... scholarship. I'm on, I'm on academic scholarship. Gotcha. But. So, like, it was like, oh, 90% of the team's going to quit if he stays. And then if he goes, then that there's our coach of 11 years gone. Like, well, what's going on here? And so he, they were like, you're, you gotta, you gotta retire. So he, he retired formally. And then now we got a new coach and he's, he is awesome. I'll tell you, he's, he was our assistant coach last time Wofford won the conference. And then he went on to coach at UCF, who's, who had a really, really good team the last couple of years and then he went on to coach in the usl and so now and then he came back this year so he's really good hmm. he is really good so nice good on you guys for raising it up and that that's it has to have been a tough transition but you got to feel like you got a clean slate now yeah it, it's awesome cool. but like over half the we only have like 13 guys right now because we have two or three injuries and then we only have 13 guys because it used to be the players could go abroad like the spring of their junior year if they wanted to because it's like a big thing at wofford is it you get the chance to study abroad. And so like our entire junior class bar one player is, is in a different country right now. <laughs> so we have, we have all of the sophomores and all the freshmen. And then it's, it's literally just us with our new coach. So we have like 13 players grinding out the spring season. So what is your, what does your spring and summer look like? Are you pretty much staying at school the whole time? Yeah, I'm staying and I'm staying for the rest of the spring semester and then over the summer, I'm going back to Charleston. I'll do some training and play a lot of futsal. I'm a big, I'm a big futsal guy. Oh yeah, I saw what, that. Why, you know, I, why futsal? What's, what's the deal? I, it's just so good in terms of technical training, and it's it's so fast paced, and it, it's it's just I enjoy it better than outdoor soccer. If there was collegiate futsal, I would be doing that instead of college soccer. Huh. But it's just that's how Brazil and like all the other countries got really really skillful on the ball like they they play futsal growing up in you know, on the concrete barefoot like that's just that's just how they were raised and that's how they're so skillful and that's i think that's what america lacks 
in terms of technical ability. Like, it's just so, like, inside the foot pass. Like, inside the foot. Like, yeah. there's no, like, creativity on the ball. Like, there's yeah. nothing. There's nothing of that. And that's, like, some of, the, some of the players that I've interviewed, like, you can tell that they've played a lot of futsal growing up, just by the way that, like, that they play. And I think that's really good. And that's why I try to interview some of those guys. That's an interesting perspective. So I had another question about um, just – so you played club growing up and then you were fed into college soccer. And I think a lot of the debate in America around our soccer uh, development uh, gives a hard time to college soccer. I could phrase that differently. But, um, you know, did you see kids skip out on college or, or what's your thought process as far as – Division one soccer from a soccer development perspective. Um. From a soccer development perspective, it's a, it's a good and a bad thing if you go if the player goes about it right and if the recruitment process for after college is right. Because you have players like Andrew Gutman who I who I interviewed. He was awesome to work with. He he won the Mac Herman, which is like the Heisman of college soccer, and so. But like he he got signed straight away by Celtic, and that and that, that was really big for college soccer but like 22 or 23 right now and you're missing out on those like crucial young years where clubs try to recruit right a majority of their like future players you know yeah like 18 19 20 seems to be that those big recruitment yeah. years yeah unless you're freddie adu and then it's 15 and, I mean, look at him now <laughs> like he, he actually got, i'm from dc he lives in this area yeah he got Apparently. cut from the team in las vegas because <laughs> uh, he was doing poorly so you also mentioned USL. Uh, what's your take on USL first as the second division, then kind of the closed pyramid structure in US? And do you think it's ever possible that we move away from that? Well, I, I, I hope that USL keeps growing, but not in the terms of like expanding teams. I hope like the, we bring like a much wider, lower like lower division scale, kind of like how England has it set up. But, cause right now you got like yeah, there's like 35 teams in the USL, like you don't you don't need that many teams. Yeah. And you look at it like Charleston, the Charleston Battery. That's my that's my hometown team. Like I grew up going to their games and everything. Like there's just such a like the USL. It's such a good thing in terms of developing the younger players that MLS that MLS clubs want to get first team playing time. And then, but it's all, and it's also a good avenue for players coming right out of college. But I, it still needs to grow. Like promotion relegation would help this tremendously. Like I'm trying to exp- like wrap my mind around how it could get better aside from promotion relegation. Hmm. But there's there's no way you can't beat around the bush. Like you, you, promotion relegation is a necessity. And I saw a thing that like a hundred hundred something clubs sent letters into USSF saying yeah, that they I saw need that today. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, we talk about it on the podcast all the time. That's what we love about it, just competition at both sides of the table. Yeah. Do you know at all if – do USL teams have academies like, like MLS teams do, or is it there not enough money for that? Or Some do. Some do. The, Char- the Charleston Matter, we used, there used to be an academy there, but then it got, it got shut down because they weren't doing too hot. But some other ones – I know um, the team out in Sacramento has one. I know the team in San Antonio has one. And um, I heard, I saw another thing that the USL has been posting about recently. They're gonna start. They're gonna start their own academy, like league. 
hmm. kind of like how the MLS has their academy league. The USL is going to start like their own academy league, and then they'll be able to compete like within within the other USL clubs, and then have and then be able to play like in a youth open cup kind of situation. You know, I could almost see that another league would rise up underneath the MLS, but the whole problem would be FIFA buying in to that concept to make that a reality to have pro rel. Yeah. But I don't know. It's sad. I feel like U.S. soccer can sometimes be a sad topic. So It's depressing sometimes. Any Are there any happy thoughts you want to leave us with? What, what are you excited about for in the U.S. men's national team in the next year? The next year, I'm... I am absolutely buzzing about Weston McKinney and Tyler Adams if if Greg Berhalter gets his head out of his ass and plays them both in the midfield. Yeah. Get Bradley out of there. Oh, my God, yes. And you already know they're going to give him the armband for these friendlies, too. And that's just kinda... <laughs> Oh, yeah. <sighs> his bald. I, I remember just swearing at him all qualifying last time. I don't know. When he scored that ridiculous chip goal against Mexico, like I... It was a nice goal. I wanted to. I wanted to be so. I wanted to be mad. I was like, I hate so much that Michael Bradley did this, but at the same time, this is really good. We've talked about this too. He has moments of quality, moments of quality. But they're but, few. They're few and very far between. Yeah. I don't think I've ever. I can't remember ever seeing him complete a forward pass. He's frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. He plays like an MLS player. <laughs> yes, he is the. Perfect epitome of an MLS player. And our boy Pulisic has had a bit of a down year with Dortmund. Uh, yeah. What are you looking forward to seeing him doing here in the next few months with the national team? I'm He's got in the face of us now. Yeah, just getting just getting the regular playing time that he needs and get back in like the mojo of him being the man. Because like, there was that time at Dortmund where he was the man and there was so much hype around him. He was really central to what they were trying to do on the field. And now that Sancho's come and taken his place, it's like he's not the man anymore. He needs that mojo back. And I think bringing him back into the U.S. national team for the friendlies will be really good to get his confidence back. Yeah, not only is he not the man at at Dortmund right now, I see people shitting on him all the time. Yeah. I mean, he came came off the bench and kind of rescued him a little bit. Yeah, assist in the goal. Yeah. Yeah. But other than that, like, he hasn't been great. Are there any of the MLS guys that you're actually happy to see there on the roster? Any of those guys that I'm happy... Jesse Gonzalez, I'm happy to see him there. I, I really like him. And who, who else? I like Jordan Morris. I, I don't know why. I felt like last qualifying cycle, he was actually pretty solid for U.S. Yeah, he's been he's been well. He's been doing well for um, Seattle, too, these last couple games. He's been banging in goals. Would you um, be sad to see Josie Altador back in the picture? I will be, I will be devastated if Josie Altador got called back in. I think he is the softest player to have ever pulled on the national team jersey. He thinks he thinks he thinks he's Neymar. He thinks he's Neymar. He tries to dribble around these people, but the fact is he's like six two and he's gigantic. He needs to just be bodying people around like like it's nobody's business. And he tries to just kind of dribble around him like he's some sort of like quick winger. It's like, no, you are a big man. You need to put your body on these guys and shove them around. <laughs> uh, I can't believe I'm blanking on this name, but who's oh oh would you rather see Demarcus Beasley or Josie Altador go into the next uh, qualifying cycle? Beasley. <laughs> there is no Even doubt 40. in my mind that I would rather see Beasley. <laughs> He'll be uh, like forty-eight at that point. Bring him in. If it, if it's between him and Bra- between him or Bradley and Altador, I 
bring Beasley back in, please. Please. <laughs> I can get on board with that. Looks like Jim's back. Jim? All right. We were just uh, shitting on Josie Altador, and that was fun. Yeah, uh, he is uh, he is a fantastic MLS player. I'm glad he's back in where he belongs. Where, he played in he played in uh, Arriva Derche, right? The uh, Dutch league. What? I said I said that completely wrong. <laughs> yeah, I, was like, I said it like the uh, that yeah, yeah that was from so like the guy Bastards. from Inglourious yeah, I was just about to say that I watched that movie the other Arriva day. Arriva Derche. Arriva Derche. <laughs> Grancy. Yes. Uh, yeah. Um. And I'm sure you guys talked about uh, Michael Bradley's inclusion in the squad. No, please tell us, Jim. Uh, I mean, so we kind of... <laughs> I, I won't tell you. I was going to frame it in a question, but we kind of talked about it before, like how we figured he'd still be a part of at least the current setup through the Gold Cup, um, but maybe not part of the 2022 picture. Is that kind of how you see it? I, I think he should be out. I don't think he should be playing right now at all. Chris Durkin's already twice the player he is, and he's 18. It does seem like um, we have a focus on the Olympic picture with the U23s and putting Sargent and, and Wea there, and they just named a coach today. Yeah. I mean, how do you feel about Olympic soccer? I, I, I don't know how I feel. I, I don't know how I feel either just because the U.S. hasn't qualified for it in over a decade. Yeah. And our well, our founder of the U.S. soccer blog, Derek, he interviewed Brian Dunseth, who played on the, the last Olympic national team. And he played for the senior national team once or twice. And he's an MLS veteran. And he was saying that the, the Olympic team is something the U.S. US Soccer Federation should be focusing on hmm. because it gets players that experience of playing at on, like, a big stage. And I, I can I can I can get behind that. I like I like that, but I don't think that's where the focus should be right now. Like bring the guys from the U twenties into that team. Yeah, I mean if like, it was the, the focus, exciting guys from U twenties. You could put Pulisic, Tyler Adams, and McKenney all on that team, right? Well that's yeah, that's kinda of, that's kinda of the point though, right? Like I mean the U twenty threes should be for guys that might be, you know, still within that age bracket that might be a little more fringe, but if you have guys that are younger than that, they should that are that are good enough, they should be with the senior team. I mean, yeah. in, in like in full practice that way. I mean, they're t- like having Wade and Sergeant down there is just blocking somebody else from getting that U twenty three experience to yeah. continue. Exactly. exactly. And then yeah, if the other players that can that are under twenty three for the Olympics uh, are on the national te- the senior team now, why not bring those two up? Just it it does seem senseless. Like, I I don't know what they're doing. Yeah, I think I just think we're in the middle of we're we're exactly in between a rock and a hard place right now with the U20 World Cup this summer, the Gold Cup, and the Olympic qualifying. Like, it's just, it's all happening at once. You can't really be that picky about your team selection. Sure. It's just easy to mm-hmm. pick on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, any uh, any final thoughts before we let you go? Uh, if you all haven't already followed us on Instagram or Twitter, you can follow us at, at the U.S. Soccer Blog. If y'all are trying to keep up with some of that good content that we keep steamrolling out. Word. It looks like you guys are pretty fresh into it, right? A couple months Yeah, in. we literally started at the end of January, like beginning of February. And we've That's... already hit 300 on Twitter. And nice. Just about 100 on Instagram. And we've gotten a decent Facebook following too, but I don't keep up with the Facebook stuff. I got to follow you on Insta. But we actually started January as well. So All right. this, was, this was awesome. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, of course. 
We'll uh, much appreciated. We'll have you on anytime you wanna you wanna chat. <laughs> Oh.